process of reviewing movies is broken. The system we expect to serve as a barometer for the quality of a film is not working the way we want. But, well, it's not working the way we want, it is working the way they want. You see, the review process may be broken, but the powerful people who broke it wanted to stay that way. Welcome to Film Theory, the show that hides power-ups inside of bricks. So at this point, do I even need to ask if you've seen the Mario movie? It's been shaking loose so much coin that you'd think you were suddenly in Wario Land. This thing is a mega mushroom-sized hit at the global box office, sitting at nearly $1 billion in worldwide gross as I write this with no signs of slowing down. This thing has put up such huge numbers that industry experts are even bumping up their projections for the entire year of cinema earnings just because of this one film. Everyone is calling out the fact that this one movie has such a shocking overperformance, which, can we just be real here? Mario is more recognizable to children than Mickey Mouse, and people are surprised that a feature film from the marketing masterminds behind the Minions is doing well? Whoa, color me shocked, loyal theorists, who could have seen this one coming? I'm like a surprised Pikachu up in here. But something that was a legitimate surprise to me, and to the internet at large, was the response from movie critics, especially when compared to how different it was from all the normal people walking out of it. As of the writing of the script, just 59% of critics on Rotten Tomatoes scored this one positive planting it in the rotten category. And I just gotta say, that does not track with the movie that I saw. Was the Mario movie perfect? By any means? No, clearly not. I was pretty upfront in my last theory acknowledging the weak pacing, the poor character motivation, and the fact that the soundtrack is just like the director forgot to turn off his Spotify playlist. But just listen to some of these reviews. Quote, the whole package is a deranged mishmash, an assault on the senses with a subpar animation style. The Super Mario Brothers movie is the illumination style done at its absolute worst. Okay, the absolute worst? Are you sure about that? Meanwhile, the audience reception sits comfortably at 96% positive, much closer to what seems to be the consensus from all us lowly normies and other armchair reviewers on YouTube. I don't know what the movie critics watched, but it certainly wasn't this film. This is not by any means a bad movie. I am kind of surprised now to see these critic scores because I'm like, how could you hate on this movie? Honestly, I'm usually one to agree with the left side of the Rotten Tomatoes score, but the critics are kind of going a little too hard on this. One. And it's that division that really interests me. With a 59% critic score and a 96% audience rating, that means that the Mario movie has a gigantic 37 point difference. Why? And why does it feel like this sort of gap between critic and audience has been increasing over the years? Over the past decade, there are a ton of movies that were hits with the audience that just wound up as complete whiffs to critics. Some notable examples here, Nintendo's console war rival Sony has a lot of trouble in this category. Venom has a 30% with critics, but an 80% from audiences, a 50 point swing. Uncharted sits at 41% with critics and 90% audience approval, a massive 49 point difference. The Greatest Showman, 29% divide. Netflix originals like The Gray Man, Red Notice, and Bright are 44, 56, and 57 point swings respectively. In every single one of these cases, fewer than half the critics recommend the movie, but more than 80% of the audience does. And it works both ways too. There are plenty of movies that critics loved, but audiences didn't. The Last Jedi, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Us, Hail Caesar, Uncut Gems, how does this keep happening? Why does this keep happening? And it's not like critics and audiences don't agree most of the time. Top Gun Maverick, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man No Way Home, John Wick Chapter 4, all recent examples that have critics and audience scores
scores in the 90s. Similarly, high scores can also be found with classics like Lord of the Rings, Gladiator, The Matrix. So is there any common feature here that we can find across the films that have this extreme division between critic and audience? Loyal theorists, this has been a subject that's been on my mind for literal years. And the fact that it's happened again with something as innocuous as the Mario movie has finally gotten me to look into it. After all, it kind of feels like critics and audiences watch two completely different Mario movies here. So what's going on? Well, after looking into the history of reviews, I found evidence to suggest that there are some pretty powerful players in this game banking on the fact that there's a war between audience and critic. Munch down those mushrooms, loyal theorists. We're entering the warp pipe. First, let's set up the parameters of what we're actually talking about here. Rotten Tomatoes actually has very specific rules and formulas for what makes a piece of media good or bad in their eyes. For both critic and audience scores, a good review is anything with three and a half stars or higher. If fewer than 60% of those reviews are good, a film is considered rotten. 60% or higher gets you a fresh rating. So with that in mind, let's talk about our two groups. The audience is exactly what it sounds like. Anyone who wants to voice their opinion about the film. That means it's a big group with a lot of different types of people in it. Shocking, I know. Meanwhile, there's some pretty strict criteria involved with Rotten Tomatoes approving critics for their site. Basically, it boils down to frequent quality criticism across written, video, or audio reviews. So the regular person hopping onto Twitter or TikTok to share their hot takes as the credits roll ain't getting added to that side of the tomato meter. And that matters. According to career analysis website Zipia, film criticism in the United States has a pretty clear demographic. More than 80% are men, more than 67% are white, 90% of them completed some sort of college degree, they have a median age of 40 to 44. A lot of them also live in larger cities, especially ones heavily involved in filmmaking like Los Angeles and New York. Obviously, these traits don't define a person. Lived experiences are going to be far more important to a human being than what boxes they check for statistics. But this is useful information setting a tone for the majority of the reviews that are affecting the score. Rotten Tomatoes must have agreed, since in 2018 they tried to open up their roster of critics to a greater variety of sources, but were ultimately met with a very limited degree of success. So with all of this in mind, it starts to become clear why there's a division here. Think about the people in the audience review section. They're anyone from a single NASA-employed rocket scientist with five kids to a C-average high school student wanting to gentle minion with the boys. And all of those voices are treated equally. Meanwhile, I think everyone can come up with a rough idea of the stereotypical critic. Ratatouille hit this one on the head in the food world. I don't like food. I love it. If I don't love it, I don't swallow. But why would that impact the split we see here between those critics and audiences on the Mario movie? Well, I suspect that a lot of it comes down to expectation. When you have a specialized group of people that are so similar, like critics, they're likely going to have specific expectations about what they want out of something. And in the case of the Mario movie, and other divisive films like it, seems like the reviews kind of miss the point. The Mario movie is a kids movie aimed unapologetically at a kids audience. Universal and Nintendo want kids to be the people who want to see this film most. It wants to be the first movie that you saw in theaters for an entire generation of kids, while also being good enough for the adults that take them. It is not trying to be a masterpiece, it is trying to introduce kindergartners to the idea of movies. And in that role, it works great. But that's also not what a lot of other modern animated films are trying to do. Look at the Lego movie, Puss in Boots, Into the Spider-Verse. Those are animated films too, to be sure, but they're action comedies with grown-up ideas that have the coat of kids' movie paint slapped on top. Stuff that would likely appeal more to that college-educated, middle-aged critic. But the Mario movie? It's not pretending 
pretending to be a kid's movie, it is a kid's movie. Mario's biggest problem as a character is pretty basic hero's journey stuff, learning that he needs to believe in himself and his abilities. Oh, he also needs to eat his vegetables like Ma said so he can grow big and strong. Mushrooms aren't vegetables, obviously, but you get the idea. The long and short of it is that Mario's a lot closer to something like the Paw Patrol movie, but it seems like critics went in expecting it to be Pixar levels of story. Or at least that was my initial hypothesis. But when I looked for evidence to confirm that suspicion, it didn't quite pan out. Because when you look at other kids' fodder, like Despicable Me, Sing, Kung Fu Panda, the Paw Patrol movie like I just called out, all of their scores match critic to audience. Even on things considered rotten, like Minions, audiences and critics agree it was trash, but they still are gonna show it to the kids anyway. So what was it about the Mario movie specifically that caused this divide? Well, to see if I could actually spot any trends here, I pulled a bunch of movies that had a 20 percentage point or more difference in either direction. Those where the audience scores were higher included the Mario movie, obviously, that's why we're here, also the ones that I mentioned at the top, Venom, Uncharted, Greatest Showman, Gray Man, Red Notice Bright, but also a lot of things that I haven't mentioned yet, stuff like most Fast and Furious movies, Hillbilly Elegy, Boondock Saints, Hotel Transylvania, the live-action Lion King remake, Maleficent's 1 and 2, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the live-action Cats, data didn't specify if it was the one with or without the buttholes, and basically every Transformers and Pirates of the Caribbean movie ever. Oh, and uh, I can't forget Morbius 2, Return to Morbin Time. On the other end of the spectrum, the movies that critics liked, that audiences didn't, included Ralph Breaks the Internet, Uncut Gems, Turning Red, The Last Jedi, Us, and Hail Caesar. Notice any trends here? Cause I certainly do. Let's pull them out by group, cause I can actually see a handful of things all at work here. First, very clearly the critics don't appreciate mindless action. That's why all the Pirates, Transformers, and Fast and Furious films are in these buckets. The Netflix action movies, even comic book movies like Venom. They're not very deep, they're largely formulaic, but they're also fun. They do action, and to be fair, many of them do the action well. And sometimes as an audience, you just want to turn your brain off and let a movie wash over you. You want to be entertained. Critics appear to be the exact opposite. They're bringing notepads. They're scouring every frame. Their brain is running over time because it's in work mode. They just can't let a movie wash over them and enjoy it for what it is. They're trying to find something constructive to say about every single movie that they watch every single week. And when all the movie does is just tick a bunch of boxes instead of offering something different, well, that's gonna lose points for the critic who watched a similar movie last week, and the week before that, and the week before that. Treating movies as just an amusement park ride is just not as effective for the critic. Secondly, looking at this list, critics don't seem to understand the humor and sensibilities of the internet. Cats? Morbius? I mean, we all know why you're here. You are the so bad it's fun to watch crowd. I saw cats in a rowdy Friday night theater with a group of kids in front of me who kept meowing at the screen, and let me tell ya, it was the best cinema experience of my life. We come to this place for magic. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Yep, you're right, Nicole Kidman. I do come for the magic. The magic of the Taylor Swift fangirl sitting next to me during that cat showing, shouting at the screen 40 minutes in, Where's Taylor? It was awesome. The entire audience erupted in laughter. But to a critic, they're not appreciating movies ironically. They're not dressing up like a gentle minion like the rest of us. They're not waiting for Jared Leto to morb all over that screen. And as a result, those movies get lower scores. On the flip side of that, though, look no further than Ralph Breaks the Internet, a movie that got higher critical scores than audience scores 
because despite trying its best to riff off the humor and sensibilities of online meme content, it did it in the most normy way possible. Online communities can see through that thin attempt to cater to them, which results in lower overall scores. Lastly, and this is perhaps the biggest disagreement between the two camps, critics don't respond to nostalgia and familiarity, while audiences clearly eat it up. Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's fun, it's enjoyable, but it's also not a 94% positive movie, but audiences love the fact that it felt just new enough. You got old favorites, you got recreations of classic moments, but with new enough faces and plot lines. Maleficent and Maleficent 2, movies that began as a familiar and beloved fairy tale, except told with a new twist. It's safe, it's nostalgic, but also just a little bit new. That Lion King remake, despite its quality, it's the movie equivalent of a one-way trip to Nostalgia Town. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, it's not great, but audiences were clearly happy to revisit a fictional world that they hadn't seen in a while. And now, just take a look at the flip side. What a critic's like that audiences don't. Things that feel too new, do things too differently, are a bit too far of a departure, or that may be good unique ideas that maybe don't fully come together in the end. To the critic who sees a movie at least once a week, they're placing premiums on things that are interesting. The Last Jedi is a perfect example of this, where audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes focus on it not feeling like Star Wars, or the characters not behaving in ways that they would expect, the critics praise the movie for shaking things up, trying to do new things, taking the franchise in new directions. Turning Red is another one that falls into this bucket. It's a Pixar movie that most parents would take their kids to, thinking it's gonna be a good time killer for the family. But then you have scenes about periods, and pads, and suddenly the room with your kids turns a bit awkward. I have ibuprofen, fighting the hot water bottle, and pads. You are a woman now and your body is starting to change. To a critic, that's brave and necessary storytelling about topics that don't get screen time. To the parent who is looking to kill some hours with their kid, that's an uncomfortable conversation on the way home from the movies. I'm not saying it's good, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm saying it's the truth and it's gonna affect your score. Now take all of that information and look at the Mario movie. It is all of these things rolled up into one. It's mostly pretty colors and fun action with a pretty thin plot. It caters to online communities and gaming scenes that critics don't typically engage with, and it's speed running its way through through tons of easter eggs and nostalgia bait. This movie is basically everything that critics don't like, all in one convenient package. So I think that's a pretty good explanation for what's going on with this divide between audiences and critics as it relates to movies like Mario, but I'm still not entirely satisfied with the answer. Like sure, maybe that's how it's happening, but why is it happening? And more importantly, why does it keep happening? This disparity between critics and audiences is a big enough issue, and it happens often enough that it's been on people's radars for at least a decade now. You would think at this point we would have figured some way to sort this out. I mean, shouldn't we all be on the same side here? Audiences ideally get valuable information about movies before spending time and money on them, and critics need someone to be reading or watching their reviews for their jobs to exist. So why would critics versus audiences even be a thing, unless someone was benefiting from sustaining this conflict? Stick with me here, this is relevant, I promise. The whole idea of review aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes can trace their way back to basically a single place, a show called At The Movies, presented by a pair of critics named Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. Their whole shtick was that in lieu of scores, they'd both issue movies a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Not only was it an entertaining show presented by a pair of knowledgeable guys talking about their capital O movie opinions, but over the years, audiences got to know Siskel and Ebert's personal tastes, to the point that they could even tell from a glance what sort of movie they were getting into depending on the direction the thumbs pointed. This was great for consumers, allowing them to get a clear and concise way of getting the broad strokes on a film's quality. But for the studios, it was even better. The marketing value of this cannot be overstated. If a movie managed to get these two to agree that it was good, that was huge. Overall, this system was a win 
win-win for everyone during a time when information didn't travel at the speed of the internet. And it kind of sounds like what Rotten Tomatoes is supposed to be in the modern day, right? Let me just see how good or bad a movie is at a glance. There's a problem with how Rotten Tomatoes handles things. Back when it was just two guys on TV, it was easy to keep up with their opinions and figure out how they thought. But now there are thousands of critics with followings across a lot of different platforms. And in scaling up so much, adding so many people to the process, literally hundreds of critics in most cases, well, you start to lose the nuance of the individual opinion. No longer do you think, oh, Roger Ebert liked this thing? I liked the other things he recommended, so I'm gonna like this one too. Now the individual thoughts are basically stripped out of the process, flattened down and combined with everyone else's until all you see is a number. Sometimes it's gonna be a big number with a tomato next to it, sometimes it's a small number with a green little slime next to it. Throw in audience reviews, now you got yourself two numbers. And would you look at that? If they're both big, you have the new version of two thumbs up. Everyone loves the film, and you as a moviegoer should go see it immediately. And if they don't line up, well, now you've got yourself some conflict. And the suits at all the ad agencies have really been able to twist this one to their advantage. Marketing loves a good conflict narrative. Coke versus Pepsi, Apple versus Android, Xbox versus PlayStation. But what they love even more is how these conflicts get consumers to self-sort into neat and tidy boxes so they're even easier to market to. It's been happening forever. So if you end up with a film that critics aren't feeling but audiences are, the studio can then turn around and say, the critics don't like our movie, but so what? Our movie is for you, the average Joe. And that can do wonders to create a passionate fan base, an us versus them narrative. You know how ads will sometimes just pull quotes from all sorts of different reviews? Critics agree. The Avengers is a must-see movie event for everyone. It's gonna be fun. Well, when Batman v Superman bombed with critics and at the box office, the film's official account started tweeting out what looked to be press quotes attributed to random Twitter users with the text, see it for yourself. And once you know it, with the Mario movie is now doing the exact same thing. They're leaning in hard on the audience score, tweeting a web spot saying just, the audience has spoken. And it's getting the intended effect. Literally, the number one reply to this thing is, exactly, we don't care about critics' opinions. Either way, pretty much everyone with actual money invested in this thing comes out a winner. Nintendo and Universal have a movie that fans start defending in a surprisingly long-legged discourse. Critics and content creators can write articles and make videos discussing why critics are or aren't wrong. And Rotten Tomatoes gets clicks and traffic as people go to look up the scores, defend their opinions on the title, review it themselves, and the whole website brand becomes part of the conversation all without getting dragged through the mud, because they're the middleman. Or are they really the neutral middleman? If you really want to start getting into the conspiracy theory of it all, do you know who actually owns Rotten Tomatoes? Like, the actual company that runs the website? It's Fandango Media, a movie ticket retailer. And that makes a lot of sense. You go to see how a film's being reviewed, and if it catches your fancy, hey, here's a link to buy the ticket right there at the bottom of the Rotten Tomatoes page. Not a big deal, right? But if you go one step further up that corporate ladder, Fandango Media is jointly owned by Warner Brothers Discovery and NBC Universal. I'm not saying anything, but isn't it interesting that one of those companies just released an animated kids film based on a popular video game that has wildly different reception from critics and audiences, thereby driving this very conversation? And that the Mario movie is literally just one point on the rotten side for the critics. Not so bad that it looks terrible, but just enough to fuel discourse in the community and episodes like this. Like I said, that's taking it to an extreme, but I'm just putting that little nugget of information out there for consideration. So what do we do here, loyal theorists? How do we do better? Well, I don't think the answer is to never pay attention to reviews, nor do I think it's to take the audience's word as gospel. Instead, I think it's to take both of these things into account. As I've shown here today, numbers can tell you a lot. Data is a great way to visualize a story, but rarely is it the whole story. For me, I'm a firm believer in finding and then following film 
reviewers whose personal tastes largely align with your own. Personally, I love the more casual reviews of Jeremy Johns, the cinematic sensibilities of Chris Stuckman, and the overall industry coverage of Dan Merle on YouTube.com. Is Chris Stuckman sometimes a bit too artsy for my taste? Yeah. Is Jeremy sometimes a bit of an apologetic fanboy for franchises? Absolutely. Does Dan Merle- Well, actually, to be honest, I don't have a lot of complaints with Dan. I usually really agree with his perspective. If anything, he sometimes hedges his opinion a bit too much. Anyway, between these three, I feel confident knowing that I'm in good hands, getting a solid, well-rounded review from three professionals looking at a movie all through their own unique lenses. And from there, I'm then empowered to draw my own conclusions. But hey, that's just a theory. A film theory. And cut.